0: and welcome to another episode of the 3-Vid League Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler, joined by Matt. And we got two terrific guests coming up here today. Later, we're going to be joined by Tristan Freeman of Busting Brackets to talk about some things non-A10. But before that, we got a terrific guest. Some of you know him from his days as the head coach of the LaSalle Explorers. Others know him from the TV on NBCSN and occasionally on ESPN+. It's Dr. John Giannini. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, great to be here. Talk some a10 basketball. Always a pleasure.
0: Yeah, and you're you, you've been at the top of our guest list for a while. One of the smartest minds uh, in college basketball on TV right now. So we're glad to I, have yeah, you. Yeah, my
1: Bart, I wasn't as smart coaching. Uh, that's why I'm on TV. But uh, uh, it's a little bit easier when. Uh, you you know, on TV, your plans usually don't go wrong. A lot of times in coaching, the best designed plans don't go well. And so much is uh, out of a, you know, once the game starts, it's really a lot out of the coach's control. So uh, uh, a lot more than people realize, like I'm also doing Conference USA games and Dan D'Antoni, the coach at Marshall, he's 73 years old and he coached with his brother in the NBA a long time. And like Coach Cheney was at Temple, he's at that point in his life where he just shares wisdom. And, you know, he says it, it's it's the players' team. It's not the coaches' team. And you don't want to get in their way. And players win games a heck of a lot more than coaches. And uh, certainly our jobs are important. But uh, it's not as important as players, in, in all honesty. From Bill Belichick, you know what he did with the Cleveland Browns. And you know what he did with the Patriots. And you know what he did with Brady. And you know what he didn't do when Brady left. So Apparently, I think players are pretty important, whether you're Phil Jackson or Bill Belichick or even a guy like me.
0: Well, sometimes in college basketball, part of the coach's job is to find the right players. Oh, we, yeah. know the, we know that Mark Schmidt has done that at St. Bonaventure. Oh. Oh. And the Bonnies are now rolling into the A-10 championship. Regular season champs, they get a third battle with VCU here. And so we got to ask, from – From the perspective of a former coach, what has impressed you the most about what St. Bonaventure has done this year?
1: Everything. Um, And a little bit of a myth in coaching is uh, uh, depth. So depth is important for practice because you have to have good practices. But in games... There are a lot of great coaches who play five, six guys. I remember Archie Miller one year went to uh, the NCAA tournament and won a first-round game with, I think, six scholarship players. And they had a guy named uh, Worley, uh, who was their seventh man as a walk-on. You, you Dayton guys, you remember that team, right?
2: Oh, of course. Yeah, Bobby Worley, he came into Dayton as a, a great high school volleyball player, and he left as a scholarship athlete. And, yeah, he was huge on that team. that did like uh,
1: man on they a make- team of- in the NCAA tournament. And that's what Bonaventure has right now. Those guys are not looking over their shoulders. Uh, They know they're going to play. They love to play. And they're comfortable with each other. Um, So the pieces are great. Great point guard. And then three jacked six-five guys who are really versatile, who could switch on defense, who can score around the rim, who can knock down threes. And then Oshun as a rim protector is just Ridiculous. So the role definition is great because you do have roles. You do have some interchangeability with those three forwards. Uh, Lofton at six three—that's a big team. Uh, you take up a lot of space defensively with long arms, and of course, the rim protections at the highest level. And then what impresses me is the system. Um, Coach Schmidt's practices are really long his video sessions are really long to the point where you think the players are gonna get worn out, they're not pay attention. Um, but what happens is they get so many reps in with their sets and the playbook is gigantic by college basketball standards. It's like an NFL playbook, but they get so many reps, even in practice that they identify coverages like that. And they can run any set full speed at the snap of a finger and defensively they recognize other team sets so they are such a high IQ team and what I mean by that is recognition. Um, So they're incredibly smart. It's a complex system. They don't extend defensively. They're just rock solid. They're a great defensive team. They're good rebounding because it's not only ocean but everyone can rebound for their position. and like you said, his evaluations and he'll say he's gotten lucky. He got lucky with Oshun. He got lucky with a little bit with Lofton, but I'll tell you those three, six, five guys are evaluations. And he'll tell you the ones he got lucky and going back to Adams and uh, Mosley, like those were not highly recruited guys. Um, so they evaluate, they've had good luck. They're, stunningly well coached, and the lack of depth, I think, has helped them with confidence and um, uh, development. Those guys have gotten a lot of minutes, and they're their developed.
0: So, I'm glad you mentioned Ashuna Shunehi and the defense. He is obviously the central cog of that team, and we saw it last night, seven blocks in the semifinals, and this is a player that I, I would believe that you know fairly well, given that You recruited him out of high school. So you say Mark Schmidt got lucky, but you saw some talent there too. Now, I think we can say the the Bonnies are –
1: He got lucky I got fired or he wouldn't be there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it seems like the Bonnies are headed to the NCAA tournament. They could be running into some super athletic power five bigs. Do you see Ashunahee having any issue with the step-up in athleticism when they get to those games?
1: They're going to have a hard time adjusting to him. He's got the biggest wingspan and one of the quickest jumps in college. They're going to have a hard time against him. Forget about his adjustments. They're going to be like, oh, okay, I've I played against 6'10 guys. Then they find out his arms are the arms of a 7'2 guy, and he jumps out of the gym, and he has perfect timing. Like, they're going to have to adjust to him.
0: I c- That's an even better answer that I could have hoped for. I I can't imagine that he will have problems with anyone until maybe we start getting to, like, some top-10 pick-caliber guys.
1: So, so the – Hassan French made him better. Oshun was uh, so upset that French really took it to him in the last regular season game last year, and that motivated him in this game. But playing in the A-10 – gets you ready like Hassan French is a big strong mean guy at any level and um, uh, yeah this year maybe last year as a sophomore the physicality could have bothered him but again because he's played pretty much 40 minutes a game unless he's in foul trouble for three years now he's seen it all he's ready to go.
0: So uh, one of the other guys that really intrigues me on that team is Jalen Attaway, who comes in as a transfer and slides in perfectly as an undersized four. What is it that you feel like is the best trait in his game? Because he does a lot of things well, but doesn't really get the publicity for doing anything great.
1: Yeah, he's one of those great glue guys. And small ball work. So it's weird. I mentioned D'Antoni. I just covered his game yesterday. But with the Phoenix Suns, he and his brother went with no center. Um, and uh, certainly those smaller, quicker, more athletic power forwards now. I mean, Attaway 10 years ago would have been a small forward. Now he's a power forward, and he's just a tough matchup. Um, uh, You know, he's quicker than a lot of guys. He's more athletic than a lot of guys. He's strong. He has a high motor. He's one of those guys that's a really hard matchup at that position, and Coach Smith's offense, he can call guys numbers. But the big thing about Attaway in that system, he sets so many screens. And screens get people open. So I think the system works for him. The role works for him. And he's an athletic guy who's a tough matchup. And uh, um, and he has a high motor.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one of I'm glad you mentioned the screening. Because I feel like he's helped to give them so much – better of a spacing on offense, and I know we've mentioned before he just feels like the perfect fifth guy to glue into that team, but going forward, you know, we've we've seen different guards step up in different games. Which guy between Lofton, Holmes, and Welch do you think can really be the biggest difference maker as we get deeper and deeper into March, or is that kind of well, leading no, towards that, Lofton?
1: It, it's Lofton. Well, is the key to everything. So the reason they lost at VCU was Lofton got in foul trouble. And Lofton is so used to playing. He he really struggles being taken out of a game. And it's not just the time he's out of the game, but it's the mental effect on him. So uh, he, is, he is the most valuable player in the Atlantic 10 from the standpoint that if you took him off of St. Bonaventure, they would they would go down two levels immediately. Uh, those other three guys are a little bit interchangeable. Vasquez can come in. Even Shaw has given uh, Oshun some great substitute minutes, but there's no replacement for Lofton. Lofton has to play well. And when I say that, I just don't mean scoring points. He's a terrific defender. He runs the offense. He He, he distributes the ball, makes great decisions. He's... He's the most – put it this way, he's the most important – there's no player more important to their team than Lofton is to St. Bonaventure.
0: And and that's something that the Bonaventure fans have kind of reiterated to me too when I've really asked them how they felt. Because even in that VCU game, Jaron Holmes fell into foul trouble too. And that really hurt them kind of early on before Lofton disappeared. And, you know, it kind of sticks in my mind like, oh, that was a game where they lost Holmes and it really killed them. And I've just completely blanked out the fact that it was Lofton going out that really made them cold because Holmes came back in and just couldn't get it going without his backcourt.
1: Man. And, and coaches felt like even when Lofton came back, that he, the frustration kind of lingered. He wasn't normal Lofton.
0: Yeah, that was kind of a rough game all around for them. But speaking of the VCU Rams, of course, they will be the opponent for the Bonnies in this game. This has been a team that is just filled with guys that have really broken out this year with terrific performances. I guess outside of Bones Highland, who I think everyone has thought has been a superstar, who's someone that maybe you didn't see a a big leap from this year that has really impressed you?
1: I'm not sure what you mean about that. Uh, I mean, Ward obviously is out of this world. I mean, he could play anywhere. And the defensive combination of him and Douglas, I mean, those are two guys who could. So if basketball were like football, where you could just play offense or defense, I mean, Douglas and Ward would be as good a combination of, of post players as there is. Um, uh, you know, I think losing Spark, Sparks was a, a loss for um, VCU. I, I thought, um, or Clark, I'm sorry. I actually, I broadcast, call him Clark the Spark. But that's why I said Spark. <laughs> uh, I think that was a loss. Uh, their freshman class is really good. They're, they're going to come around. Uh, Baldwin's a terrific. I think Baldwin's underrated. Usually you think of, you know, he doesn't score a whole lot. But, man, he does a whole lot. He's one of those guys who can, uh, I wouldn't say dominate a game without scoring, but he can strongly influence the game without scoring. Um, and I give coach Rhodes credit. I mean, they're an elite defensive team. The best quote I've heard an opposing coach use is even when you're open, you're not comfortable. You see everyone missed these shots against St. Louis and watching it on TV. It's like, how are they missing these shots? But if you were on the court, they don't have as much time to, to, take that shot as they normally do. The length and quickness is always a little more than you're used to, and it speeds you up. It rushes you. Um, So I I really think that these are the two best defensive teams uh, in the league going at each other. And if it comes down to a half-court game, I just think St. Bonaventure's half-court offense is better than uh, VCU's. I think VCU, uh, Highland is the one guy who can kind of, Score, uh, on a consistent level. And I think, uh, you know, with St. Bonaventure, is more guys who can score yeah, in like the half oh, court. Sorry, time, carry on. And this is an obvious point. I'm being... But if you don't turn it over against BCU, and I'm talking going back 10 years, if you could keep your turnovers 12 or less, you, you got a great shot. If, if Havoc... And that's the thing, the veteran ball handlers and the system of St. Bonaventure, in, especially in a COVID year, and in, in any year, veteran teams have a huge advantage. And I just think that, um, yeah, I think St. Bonaventure, because of their ball handling and loft in and the experience and the age and the fact that all those guys outside of Michoudi can handle the ball, I, I, I think that uh, they could be okay against VCU.
0: So... Well, I just want to take it back at just a smidgen. You mentioned Ace Baldwin. He's been terrific all year. But one of the things that's really kind of stood out in the last few games is he's gotten more aggressive, obviously. He had to when Bones Highland went out. But now in the last three games, three turnovers, sorry, five turnovers against Davidson, three against Dayton, and then four in the A-10 tournament game against Davidson. Do you have any concern that maybe he's pushing things too hard and that could become problematic
1: for the Rams? Yeah. You know what? I didn't get to see all the games. Um, um, I saw St. Bonaventure, St. Louis last night, and then uh, the hotel I was staying at at Marshall didn't have CBS sports. And I, I had to get back to the hotel, but with, with the stats you're giving me there, that is a concern. There's no question. Those numbers are a concern, but you also look at the body of work and I, I have confidence in him, you know? I, 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 so I'm kind of walking the fence over here. Is it a concern? Yes, but I'd still much rather have him than not have him. And here's the other thing. St. Bonaventure does not pressure at all. They're all containments. If he turns it over, it's like you said, because he's forcing something that's not there. Um, but St. Bonaventure's defense is good because they protect the, the arc in the lane. They're not trying to chase you around. They're not trying to steal the ball. Um, So I I would think Baldwin should be okay.
0: Yeah, that's a a good take. And, you know, I kind of hadn't even thought about the fact that Bonaventure does not press up. And as soon as you say that, it just pops into my mind. You're completely right. And that's why we wanted to have you on here today. But, you know, honestly, I agree with you too. I would favor the Bonnie slightly in this game, but I expect a great one.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and when you play um, so when you play VCU, you have to finish like they're going to extend and you're going to have some numbers and you're going to be able to get to the rim. Now, can you finish? And that's what Hassan Ward and Douglas and uh, those guys looking around and even those long freshmen, the Watkins and Banks, like they can come out of nowhere and block a shot. But um, I think that St. Bonaventure has uh, uh, the ability to finish against them. Now, when you play St. Bonaventure, you got to make threes. You just have to because, so it's interesting. Bonnie's got to make twos. VCU has to make threes. And uh, I think Bonnie's might have a better chance of making twos than VCU outside of Highland. Now, St. Bonaventure scouting reports are meticulous. They will not let, they'll not help too much off of Highland. But everyone else, they're going to have to make some shots.
0: And so we saw in the last two games, both Dayton and Davidson got really patient against the VCU defense. They were content to sit deep behind the three-point line and really kind of take their offense slow. And at times it caused them a lot of problems. Is that – will St. Bonaventure be able to be successful doing that with the talent, or do they need to push
1: it? So the worst thing you could do, in my opinion, against VCU is to be patient for this reason. It's hard to get a good shot against VCU when you're aggressive. Now if you patient, like it's almost impossible to get a good shot against that defense if you're not trying to score for 15, 20 seconds. Like you have to try to score. The whole thing against VCU is you have to be able to run, but they can't. You have to win the transition battle. And a lot of that is turnovers because they run off of turnovers. But um, uh, St. Bonaventure's transition defense is good. Um, uh, And and pace is not just running the floor. It's how how hard you run your offense. And St. Bonaventure flies around as much as anyone. They might run a play that takes four or five passes, but they're flying around. So, I just don't think uh, it's a veteran team with a good system and they're not going to make the mistake of playing slow. Even if they take some time before they get a shot, they're working to get the shot. It's not like they're intentionally trying to play slow. They'll, they'll work the whole shot clock and VCU's defense is good. Sometimes you're going to have to go deeper in the shot clock. Um, But yeah, I, I think, Actually, St. Bonaventure is the kind of team that's constructed with point guard play, execution, uh, to, to have some success against VCU. But at the end of the day, if they don't finish, if Ocean has a two for nine, if, if, if they don't finish around the rim, I mean, VCU has made a lot of good teams shoot in the 30s. They still got to finish. And like I said, remember, even when you're open, you're still not comfortable against VCU.
2: Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to put it. Um, in the semifinal game, they just held Davidson, who, I mean, any A-10 fan knows how well Davidson shoots the ball, and they shot 29% from the floor, which I think is a perfect example. Davidson was getting fairly open looks, but they still, they had to run a lot of shot clock, and they were definitely uncomfortable. That's that's just a great way to describe it.
1: On video, they look open. I think in person, it or not so (laughs) well yeah yeah that
0: that would honestly explain a lot because Davidson seemed like I I likened it at one point to when the Rockets lost game seven of the Warriors years ago missed 27 threes in a row they weren't missing they weren't just chucking the ball up they were missing open threes that's what it felt like last night but maybe it is the difference of of the TV and the speed of the VCU defense causing them problems
1: I think that's that's what Everyone they play against says, and I mean, when it happens game after game after game, when it happens 20 times a year where these teams are missing open shots and they're shooting in the thirties, it, it's the defense and the numbers bear it out. It's just a long, quick athletic team and they can really recover. Um, and in, in a situation like that, I mean, three, four, uh, three tenths of a big difference. So
0: as much as we would love to, to keep you for hours on end here and keep previewing this championship game, uh, we, we, do have to, we do have to move on and ask you about something maybe looking forward towards next season. Are there any guys that you've seen in the A-10, perhaps a, a, less, heralded, a less heralded guy, a non-superstar, that you think could potentially have a breakout year in 2021, or 2022, oh. I guess?
1: So St. Louis is super talented. Like, if there, people forgot about Jacobs. Like, he was a double-figure score on a 21 team last year. Like, that's a guy that – if and here's the other thing, and I'm not talking about him or St. Louis. College basketball, it's probably going to be free agency by the time next year comes where, you know, don't have to sit out. It's probably going to be that way. And I'll tell you a terrible story. It's terrible to me, so um, and it's an indictment on our profession and the the pressure to win. So uh, I'm walking out last night, and I'm talking with a father of a really good player, and he says he doesn't know what he's going to do next year because we have a lot of schools reaching out to us. And I'm thinking to myself, this kid is not in the transfer portal. Like, it's totally tampering, and it's really a problem. And we're going to see more instability, I think, uh, coming up than we ever have. So – and that's for every school, every conference. But that being said, a guy like Jacobs, through role and COVID, and, uh, like, he took a step back. I mean, if he – he's a potential 14, 15, 16-point-a-game guy in this league. Like, as a sophomore, he was at 10 points a game with good percentages on a 20-win team. So that would be one. one. And you pick him, Hargrove, Jimerson. Uh all those guys uh for St. Louis. I mean they're A ten starters. They their second team. If you look at Jimerson, I'm sorry, Thatch, Jacobs, Linson, Bell, uh, did I mention in that group? And I did I mention Hightower yet? No in that group? <laughs> no, their second five is a solid A ten starting group. COVID just totally messed them up um you know they're really high on uh so the the freshman from Duquesne Baker came on strong but the the guy who is the most highly touted in that group is the the six eight guy you guys are I'm doing I'm in conference USA mode a little bit but the six eight <laughs> guy from Ohio
0: who is uh, Harris the, the big guy right
1: yeah yeah the Andre Harris on, he's one Jack Forrest from St Joe's that guy is talented. Like, Jack Forrest could blow up next year. Um, LaSalle, I, I like – I mean, the young – so, Kenny is the one. Like, Kenny is the one. Kenny, Jack Clark, the way – Rick is, is consistent. Christian Ray is consistent. But, you know, can guys like Clark and Kenny step up? Uh, I like Shaw. Like, I, I – those coaches are hard-nosed. They're never happy with anyone. But like Shaw, I don't, what did you guys think of Shaw in the minutes he showed yesterday and in some of these other games?
0: I found him to be pretty impressive given the fact that he has no, no chance to really build himself up in these games. He's, I he's a hard worker, and he rebounds really well.
1: And he's athletic, and he's coming in cold. I like the gray at UMass to step up and and I thought Weeks didn't do what a lot of us thought he was going to do this year like Weeks and Jacobs they could both be like bounce back players of the year next year uh, but DeGray is really good um, uh, I mean Fordham who knows what's going to happen but obviously Soriano has a wealth of talent so here's a big guy GW has a ton of big guys they got Dean they got Parr. This freshman Brown, when he got in that game against, because Parr wasn't available, when he got in that game, he was like shocked. Like he flashed ridiculous talent I think the guy Brown could be, I don't know how much he's going to play, but I would love to coach him. I think he has high-level A-10 traits. Um, You know, I think Watkins – for VCU, I know he's not exactly under the radar, but I would say so. He people know he's good, but I think he has all conference potential. And I don't know about his intangibles, but I was doing a game at Davidson right after New Year's, and they're working out this monster with this great body, shooting threes, and it was Menenga. And of course, he had some good games early this year. And I don't know his intangibles because I didn't see them in person. I didn't cover them this year, but physically, that guy is really really gifted um now one of my favorite guys and he's a glue guy matt grace all he does when he comes in is make a three and he never turns the ball over like he is an ultimate guy in his role he like he just won't hurt you um so those are some of my favorite guys that aren't household names or that could become household names
2: yeah, I so, think next year Matt Grace he'll be just the perfect guy to fill the Grant Golden role after he graduates because he's already got the hair to match. And you're right, he has had some good so he, games.
1: He's not going to score inside, but for that offense, if he can make, and I think, and maybe they don't think he's physical or athletic enough to do a lot of things well to be a major minutes guy. But if he could be a solid, if he can make three threes a game. Which is in his skill set and defend and rebound. Like offensively, if you'd have if you have five shooters out there in that offense, and I remember that three he made against Kentucky, and he shoots a good percentage. Uh, and I didn't see the game uh, where he almost made the three to tie it at the end, but it was behind. The, <laughs> but I, I would be, I would not want to guard that offense if he's the center and he's, but they don't post. Like, he's really just screening and popping and high post and dribble at. Uh, and he's such a good shooter, and he doesn't make mistakes with the ball. I just don't know how good he is as a defender or rebounder. But if he can hold his own in terms of defense and rebounding, like, that offense could re- – again, if it was the NFL and all he had to do is play offense, they would be clicking.
0: Um- Potentially intriguing stretch five. And I know he's a big fan favorite of the Richmond fans, but I, I want to go back to one name you pointed out. And I, I think my eyes got wide TJ Weeks. This is a guy that to anyone who listens to the pod knows I am ridiculously high on him, maybe too much. Um, his freshman year, he puts up 15 points a game four rebounds a game on 48% three-point shooting in the non-conference and then suffers a brutal season-ending injury. This year, he takes a big step back but didn't play that many games and never really got in rhythm. Do you feel like he has the talent to be an all-conference player or am I maybe getting a little overexcited?
1: I don't know about all-conference, but a good – maybe, but he's a good player. I mean, I don't think those numbers he put up as a freshman were a fluke. I think he flashed that ability again in some games this year. And sometimes it's – you're just uh, – and and I hate to, like, preach to people who uh, are going to be a little more selfish about their roles – Because you want a deep team and you want people to accept their roles, but sometimes certain positions just get crowded. Like if they lose Pierre, if Pierre doesn't come back, and those minutes open up, and he works hard this off season and he shows the coaches motivation and talent, but now he gets more moment, more minutes, and shot opportunities. Like he has to earn it. But sometimes uh, you know situations can be crowded. Um, So uh, and I, I would assume too. Fans, media, we always think in terms of offense, his issues, maybe they want him to play better defense. Maybe that's where his role has been affected. So, uh, yeah, sure you could play some defense, take advantage of the minutes available, have a great off season. And as you said, he might be offensively talented enough to be a 15, 16-point-a-game guy. He probably is.
0: So uh, one other guy you mentioned, Demarius Jacobs. I know he's a, a St. Louis fan favorite. So him and Gibson Jimerson have given them kind of some stretch work off the bench this year. And both of them, I think have kind of seen their minutes oscillate just based on game situations. Do you see one versus the other as like a cleaner fit next to Javante Perkins on the wing next year as a starter, or can both of them just slide into that? Role? I, I,
1: I wouldn't be remember coach played Perkins at the four uh, at a number of times this year. And Perkins, if if they go small ball with Perkins at the four, forget about it. Like, if I'm coaching that team, which obviously I'm not, and Coach Ford's a better coach than I am based on record, but if you put Collins and kind of like what St. Bonaventure's done, Collins, Jimerson, and Jacobs, and make – like, what power forward's going to guard Perkins? And I saw Perkins against LSU – Guard the other team's power forward. Like he's a tough guy, and he's long and athletic. And it's whenever you go smaller, unless your big guys are really good and your scheme is really good, the game's just easier when you're smaller, quicker, more skilled. But that St. Louis lineup with those four guys and rotating Linson and and Bell inside—that I, I still got St. Louis as a top four team based on that. But, COVID messed them up. They were – I respect John Rothstein a lot for this reason. I don't know if people know this. John Rothstein goes to practices all summer on his own dime. Like, this guy sees more teams in person, watches more practices. How do coaches coach? What are their philosophies? And he said they had a chance to be this year's Dayton. They had a chance to be the best non-power six team in the country, and COVID – obliterated them. I mean, they look like nothing the same that they did in November and December, but they're still, they're really talented.
0: And maybe, maybe they could still sneak into the NCAA tournament. It seems very bleak at this point, but I I still hold out hope that maybe enough power conference teams have terrible losses next week because we're we're always happy to root against the power five teams.
1: Like getting, in part, so the eye test, they were behind by 20 uh, against St. Bonaventure. They got crushed at Dayton. I, I, they're good enough. I love them. I love coach. I love their team, but they weren't the same team late, and uh, they didn't look the same, and they didn't look good enough for what they need to do. So before we let you go, we'll we'll go back just for a brief
0: moment to your time as the LaSalle coach and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I would have to believe one of the high points of your career was making the Sweet 16 all the way back in 2013. So let's just say one night you're just sitting there, you're reminiscing about this run. What's the first thing that comes to your mind that that really makes you happy to to think about that team?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, So many things. Uh, really hard to see anything out. But I just think of uh, individual successes. Jarell Wright, who wasn't a great free throw shooter, going nine for 10 from the line. And by the way, he's getting married this July 4th. So just, and he's still playing professionally. So it's the personal success stories. It's Tyreek Dern, who loves basketball and wanted to go down as one of the great Philly guards, and he did it. He's still playing professionally. And Tyrone Garland, who uh, know went to Virginia Tech didn't get to play that much to to have Craig Sager tell him what do you call that shot like any normal media person would say what did you see or what was the play designed to do or but Craig Sager no one asked what do you call that shot Tyrone's you know funny enough to tell him it's the Southwest Billy Florida so a legend was made right there and actually you guys should buy it he's merchandising now southwest philly floater jerseys and socks as 810 guys you should absolutely buy some southwest philly floater gear um uh and, and i could go on and on i mean obviously ramon galloway was phenomenal uh, steve Zach still playing professionally so really for the lasalle fans the iconic moment it was voted in uh, philly inquire as number two shot in college in philly college basketball history to the shot chris jenkins shots win the national championship so really just for those guys to rightly be remembered in philly and to see them all having success they all got their degrees uh getting married steve zach has a baby and a family and uh just really really happy for all of them sam mills in florida is an occupational therapist just passed the exam to be uh, licensed. So I know that's not a basketball answer, but just that, that knowing that we won, not just because of character, I mean, talent, but because of who those guys were and they showed it in that tournament and they're showing it throughout their lives. It's just wonderful. Rohan Brown is an entrepreneur look for, Oh, what does he call it? Oh my gosh. I'll get it to you, but he's starting an app for bars because he's a sharp technical entrepreneur guy and he's not trying to make a salary. He's trying to get rich and taking all the risks. So it's just a cool bunch of guys.
0: And I'll be honest, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for a basketball answer at all. I just wanted to hear what what kind of pops to your mind. And it is great to know that you still think back on those years so fondly, because I think some coaches become cynical and they'll... Like, don't don't remember their best times, but clearly you do.
1: So I, I, I and you're right, I am a little bit cynical because the business is really brutal. Uh, it's really tough because we, we're all compensated great at this level and we all love what we do, but uh, the judgments and pressures are pretty harsh, uh, but that's what we sign up for. But you're right, it can wear you down, uh, but... The things I talked about, that's why you get into coaching. I, I, I worry about young coaches now because the money and the attention are so big. But when myself and Mark Schmidt and Chris Mooney was a D3 guy and uh, I mean everyone, uh, Dave Paulson was a D3 guy, uh, we all kind of got in it because we like basketball and we really like working with cool players like I just mentioned. And then you get to this level and it, it does become a little bit more of a business and really pressurized. So, you know, I, 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 I don't uh, pat myself on the back at all or, uh, you know, have gleeful memories of even the good games, but like those guys and who they were and what they did and how well they played and what they're doing now, that's what it's all about. Awesome.
0: And this this week going forward, we got no A ten games for the next six days. So I know I'll be looking, I'll be flipping channels, looking for something different to watch. If me or someone else is stumbling around, are we going to be able to hear you calling any games no, in the no, conference
1: tournaments? No stadium. I'm doing the conference USA quarterfinals on Thursday on Stadium. Um, I think I have uh, Western Kentucky has a bye. I'll have Western Kentucky and Louisiana Tech. So Western Kentucky's first game in the tournament, Louisiana Tech. if if you want to see uh, an A-10 guy do something different.
0: Yeah, and Western Kentucky is a pretty fun team, so I will definitely be sure to make my way over there. But Dr. John Giannini, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, I lo- love the A-10 guys, man. Anytime. See you, man. Thanks thank for you. having me. All right.
0: All right. Another thank you to Dr. John Giannini. Absolutely terrific. One of the best interviews we've ever had on the pod. And we got another good one coming up here, talking to Tristan Freeman. But before we get there, we wanted to take a few minutes to talk about what happened to SLU last night. Of course, they lose to St. Bonaventure. Looks like their tournament hopes are probably dead, but not Completely so. The one thing I will say, Drake just lost to Loyola Chicago in the Missouri Valley Championship game. They're squarely on the bubble, too. And we're recording this on Sunday night. I just got to say, if St. Louis and Drake don't play a neutral site game in Indy this weekend, that is a bad move by both of those teams. Because I feel like the committee would probably just treat that game as basically a winner makes the first four, loser goes home type of match.
2: Yeah, that would be a great game and a, a really a no-lose situation for either team because I, I do agree they both need a win to get in. It's so weird, and we knew this was going to happen this season, the COVID year, where teams aren't going to play the same amount of games. But I look at St. Louis's resume, I feel like they have no shot. But I'm on BracketMatrix.com right now, and they're the first team out of the field. And 36 out of 122 bracketologists have them in right now, which is a you know it's a fair amount so
0: yeah I and already like, has them third out so not exactly far away
2: yeah and it's always what happens after every single big game as soon as a, a bubble team loses all their fans come out and say well poor done see you next year and it's always those huge overreactions in the minutes after the buzzer but you know the next day you realize like six or seven other bubble teams lost on the same day it It's going to be a really stressful week for the Billikens because they're just going to have to sit and wait now. But I don't know if they can manage an extra game against someone like Drake or Belmont or whoever, just another solid mid-major that wants to play it. Maybe they still have a chance and we can get that three-bid league. Because I think the two of us will both agree. I think we're feeling good about St. Bonaventure and VCU making the tournament.
0: I mean, there's literally no question that St. Bonaventure is going and Quite frankly, I think at this point it's more of a conversation of could they maybe even sneak up to a seven because – actually, we'll save this. This is something I want to bring up to Tristan, but VCU should be in. Linardi said that they are in no matter what happens against Bonaventure. Um, Personally, I don't feel fully 100%, but I would say 99% having not gone resume by resume yet of the bubble teams. Personally, um, I, I kind of feel like VCU at this point is just fighting to avoid the first four.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I think the Bonnies, they're 27th in the net. It would be pretty obscene for them not to make it now, especially since they have three Q1 wins. VCU, you're probably right, they could fall to the first four. But I mean, shoot, it is the 10 year anniversary of their first four to final four run, So I don't even think their fans would mind that too much. But Yeah, those two seem pretty safe. Um, Yeah, it really just comes down to St. Louis in terms of getting a third team in. But I do think we need to talk about the the post-game quote that generated a lot of buzz on the internet after the game. Uh, Travis Ford, not very happy for a lot of reasons, but he mentioned that he thought it was an advantage that St. Bonaventure got to play on VCU's court the night before. And that, that got a lot of attention. Tyler, what do you, what did you think about that?
0: Quit whining Travis Ford?
2: Well, they lost like, by 18. So Yeah,
0: and, and, and by the way, it's first off, there are two forms of home court advantage. People have kind of forgotten this this year, where there's the advantage of having thousands of people in there screaming in your favor or screaming against the other team. And then there's the, just the comfort of being in your own building and sleeping in your own bed. Like, I think anyone who has played basketball at any level, even just myself, which was no more than a bunch of intramural games from third grade up through college, sometimes it throws you off being in a place that you've never played before for the first five minutes. It shouldn't affect your game. And it's not like guys like Goodwin and French haven't played in Siegel before. Like, in the end, a basketball hoop's a basketball hoop. It's the same height. The key's the same size. It's not even like we're talking about MLB parks here. Ford was just trying to look for an excuse.
2: I think if anyone gets to complain, it's it's Anthony Grant and Bob McKillop. They had to play true away games here. And I don't know. That raises some questions to me. Why the A-10? They had to... Arenas is at their disposal so it seems like they could have done a better job of being more flexible but now I think you're right I think Ford's maybe trying to lobby to the committee trying to make the loss not look quite so bad but at the end of the day when you lose by double digits like that for pretty much the entire game they were trailing it's not going to look very good so it, I don't know how much that's going to help his case and certainly I think that's a big reason why some A10, A-10 fans weren't happy with him
0: does that include Woj
2: yeah, so, uh, noted St. Bonaventure of the mighty Atlanta 10 fan, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, he, he chimed in last night. Unfortunately, I actually just clicked on the tweet from A10 Talk. It looks like Woj deleted everything, so maybe the... I don't know why. I mean, it wasn't nasty. Maybe the higher-ups at ESPN didn't like it very much, but uh, yeah, he, he, he wasn't happy, and I... I if I was a Bonnie fan, I wouldn't be very happy either because it kind of takes away from their win. But anyway, that that was pretty fun last night to see Woj join in making fun of St. Louis with the rest of A-10 Twitter.
0: Sadly, I'm sure that the higher up CDSPN did step in. We all know that Woj has gotten in trouble for his Twitter replies already once in the last year. Um, once again, against a, a man a key figure of the state of Missouri, their Senator, Josh Hawley. So I just want the Woj versus Missouri rivalry to really go a step farther. And I think that the next thing is he has to pick a Twitter fight with either a member of the Cardinals or the blues and really just ingratiate himself as an enemy of that state.
2: Yeah. Are there any like notable NBA players? Who's the biggest NBA name from the state of Missouri? Cause that could be his target. We see the Bradley
0: Beal or Jason Tatum. Yeah, As there everyone you go. who watches the NBA knows, they are both from St. Louis and know each other.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe that that'll be it then. Um, but yeah, that was pretty funny last night. I guess before we get into the final interview, we should talk about a couple of other teams in the A10 might still have some basketball ahead of them. I've seen Richmond on some NIT bubble watches. Maybe Davidson gets in. I don't know, anything, you know, do you think those teams have anything to look forward to in the NIT? I didn't think you'd care enough to talk about this on air. I was going to bring this up after we stopped recording, but this morning I
0: scrolled around. Um, it appears that there are two websites that do NIT bracketology. I, I'm actually kind of surprised that there is not more, but one of them, the DR rating site actually has Davidson above Richmond and very comfortably into the nit field as the last three seed so maybe the wildcats haven't shut things down and uh maybe bob mckillop is planning on practicing for the rest of this year
2: yeah i know that was a big uh topic at the end of the semifinal game kelvin grady's only about 10 points away from 2000 so i mean honestly that might be reason enough and i wouldn't be that surprised like I look at some other A-10 teams like Dayton or UMass. I feel like there's going to be enough power conference teams that opt out of the NIT that if those teams want to play, I honestly think they might just be able to. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Like, I don't really see Coach K showing up to Dallas or wherever they're playing this. I I don't don't think he's going to be able to convince his guys to play those games.
0: And one interesting thing could be with the shortened NIT field, as we talk about St. Louis, maybe getting one more game this week, perhaps if they can't get Drake to play them, or maybe if one of the mountain West teams loses early, um, maybe a team like, God, I'm kind of scrolling through here, but I guess the, the biggest one would be St. Mary's who would seemingly be hovering around the NIT bubble if Randy Bennett just cares about getting his team extra games and extra reps and maybe, who knows, maybe the guys just have a ton of pride there and they just want to make sure they keep playing their season. Maybe they'd be amenable to playing St. Louis somewhere just to try to boost their NIT resume. Um, I, I, I don't think there's a ton of candidates for it. I think the most likely would be If you have a team like a right state that's a smaller conference team, it's a big deal for someone like that to make the NIT. And with one seeds not getting an auto bid, maybe a one seed in some conference that's like 80th in the net would be looking for an opponent. Like a Navy perhaps
2: yeah or what about Colgate is like ninth in the net still, which I don't understand. I think it's because they've only they've played their like 12 games against the same three opponents, so I think the net just doesn't like that very much, but yeah, I mean, maybe it could even just be a decent low major the yeah uh,
0: the only one, the only reason I don't put out that one is right now Colgate's th- probably the overwhelming favorite to win the Patriot League, mm-hmm. so they'd have to lo- they'd have to get bounced in the semis on Wednesday for that chance to open up.
2: Yeah, well, we're going to hopefully talk about some more of these other conference tournaments now that the A-10 is going to be off for the next week. So hopefully we get some of that in our interview coming up with Tristan Freeman. It'll be good to hear about some other conferences because we pretty much just focus on the A-10. So I'm really interested to, see, to hear about his thoughts going around the country in college basketball.
0: Yep, and so we, got, we will have that coming right up. All right, we are back with Tristan Freeman of Busting Brackets. And with the A-10 being off for most of this conference tournament week, we wanted to turn to one of the experts of college basketball as a whole to essentially give us a guide to these next few days of conference tournaments and what could be exciting, and then moving forward for the NCAA tournament. So Tristan, thank you for joining us.
3: Hey, thank you very much for having me, it's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, you do some great work over there at Busting Brackets, and so we felt like we could go to you as one of the experts of this sport. And so I think the big question on my mind right now is, outside of the obvious, which is Gonzaga, who is just lighting the world on fire right now, who who would you personally put as the next big favorite for the national title?
3: Yeah, I would argue that Baylor deserves to be right up there with Gonzaga's 1A and 1B, I think. If you exclude the pause that they had to deal with for a couple weeks, they've been just as impressive and doing it in what I think is the best conference in basketball in the Big 12. They have seven teams that I think you can make a legit argument could make an Elite Eight run. And Baylor has pretty much ran through all of them when completely healthy. And you saw today against Texas Tech with Maceo T going off, he's arguably the third best player. So for him to go for 30 and not without needing Jarrett Butler, or, or, Dav- or Davion Mitchell, I, I think you can make a legit argument that Baylor could be the favorite even above Gonzaga, as impressive as the Bulldogs have been. But outside of those two teams, it's honestly. Uh, it's a toss up everywhere else. I think Illinois and Michigan are going to be the two teams that everyone talks about. You can make an argument for Ohio State when healthy. Uh, even if you want to look for dark horse contenders like Florida State or Houston, but I, I think if you outside the top two, it, it, it's a legit crapshoot, and I think it could set up for some very interesting round of 32 and Sweet 16 matchups going forward.
0: So admittedly, I haven't caught Baylor that often this year. It's just been bad game times for me personally. Three teams, the three teams that have really blown me away so far, Gonzaga, Michigan, as you mentioned, kind of that next team up, but then also West Virginia. So where would you kind of fit the Mountaineers into this grand scheme of things?
3: (laughs) They're they're a really interesting team because you know for those who weren't aware they lost their starting center Oscar Chisibwe, to the transfer portal. He he his numbers were down. Uh, the backup forward Gabe Ashibwen uh, was sort about playing him, but he's one of the best interior defensive big men in the country. Once he left, it allowed West Virginia to go to a smaller lineup where you had Emmett Matthews and. Uh, Taz Sherman playing sort of that small ball four and it just opened up the offense. And I think West Virginia has one of the best, you know, pure scoring offenses in the country and Derek Culver inside is an elite big man, but I've just been really concerned about their defense. You know, without they there, you can score on them pretty easily. And the concern is if they get the right matchup with a team who can guard them pretty well on the perimeter they can be a, they they could possibly lose in the round of 32 if not right because their defense just hasn't been as good as you would want them to be to be a Final Four contender. But their offense is one of the I would say one of the ten best in the country when you have Deuce McBride scoring the way he is. He's one of the top players without question, but doesn't get the same level of attention that a Mac McClung or the Baylor guards do from the Big 12.
0: And so for any Dayton fans who are wondering what could have been, could we potentially see a Sean McNeil heat check moment in this NCAA tournament?
3: Oh, oh he, he's, he's going to have those for sure. He, he's, uh, when, when he's hot, West Virginia can beat anybody. I think he's, he's a kind of a tiny bit of a liability on defense, which is why you see Bob Huggins sort of mess around with his minutes at times. But he's one of the best pure shooters. And for teams who's not familiar with West Virginia – and they see him either come off the bench or they don't have someone to key in on him, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes for 20 against anybody.
0: Yeah, of course, that, to any Dayton fans who remember, that is the man that they call hot boy. Um, he was down to West Virginia and Dayton as is his, is his final two options. But uh, continuing to talk about potential NCAA tournament contenders, outside of those, those top teams, the ones that are going to be on the one, two, three line, Who's someone that you're personally looking at that you think is a great team that people aren't recognizing, maybe like a six, seven, eight type seed that could potentially make a Final Four run?
3: It's it's tough, too, when you look at the conferences, because the Big 12 and the Big 10 haven't beaten each other up. So you're going to see some teams with sort of lower seeds that you would not take too serious. but. I think you look at a team like Rutgers, If assuming they can get in, there would be a dangerous 9-10 seed because they have lethal scores in Geo Baker and Ron Harper that can put up buckets against anyone. Even a team like Texas Tech could do damage as well. But one team that I'm really, really keeping an eye on is Arkansas. I think – when you look at Moses Moody; he's one of the best freshmen in the country. No one talks about mainly because Cam Thomas of LSU takes a lot of his shine in that region. But they have versatile lineups; they can play a seven-foot-three center and corner Vanover uh, if they want to. They can do multiple four-guard lineups. They can have Justin Smith play at the four and maximize their offensive potential. I think Arkansas is a Final Four contender assuming they get the right seating but it's always going to be hard when you judge the big 12 and big 10 because those teams just keep knocking each other around and I'm I'm, I would be interested to see where their seat lines go because any of them the top six or seven teams most of those conferences could make a final four run. I wouldn't be shocked.
0: So uh, something that the two of us tend to joke about occasionally is the big 12 gets so much hype and as you mentioned seven terrific teams and I feel like I've caught basically all of them at this point. Big Twelve's always on at great times except for Baylor. Um, but yet, yeah, we, we hear this hype year after year, and a lot of the time, all of a sudden, we make it to the Sweet 16, and there's one, maybe two Big 12 teams left there. So, is there an argument that this year's going to be different, that we could see a bunch of Big 12 teams make a deep run?
3: I think, I think the hard part is, is that usually the ACC is just as strong, if not stronger, than the Big 12 the Big 10. The Big Easts usually have juggernauts. And then there's usually, even among other places, there's like one or two top-tier, top-ten teams that can do it. There's just not a great amount of depth in the country outside of those top leagues. So can they – if they're in the right matchup proposed, sure. I mean, in the, in the ACC alone – Outside of Virginia and Florida State, do you think any of those other teams, even the ones that make the tournament like Clemson or Georgia Tech, could they make a run? I, 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 I don't see it, but it, it'll be interesting to see if the Big 12 can do it. But I think they've shown themselves in a non-conference earlier this year that they're legit with the wins they've all racked up. And I think this year, too, almost all of them has quality guard play. That's, that's been one of the issues that they've had in the tournament one-and-dones. you got Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State. Texas has finally has their seniors excelling with Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones. I think all of them could make a – even Oklahoma with Austin Reeves, he's good enough to win a game or two on his own. So I think the guard play in the Big 12 should be if, – if it allows all seven of them to advance and even several of them make the lead eight, I think it will be because of their – perimeter play
0: yeah and everyone talks about Cade Cunningham in terms of Oklahoma State but I gotta say I really like the overall depth of that team or maybe not necessarily the depth but the depth of the starting lineup they got a terrific five that has been great every time I've seen them closing games and even yesterday they beat West Virginia without Cunningham and so I know that's personally a team that I'll be keeping an eye on but kind of pulling things back into this week, more so from e- even necessarily a who are the top teams standpoint, but just from a basketball entertainment standpoint, what conference tournaments and what specific teams and players are going to be at the top of your watch list here, for this, here over these next few days?
3: Yeah, yes. the first thing that I'm going to look at, I think everyone, whether they'll admit it or not, it's going to be what this Duke does, what Duke does in the ACC tournament. You know, they're they're not they're they're pretty much they have to make it, I think, to the finals to get the bid. But the ACC is not that strong, and Duke still has a star player, Matthew Hurt, that is capable of carrying them. So I, that's the first thing that I want to see. NC State could easily beat them on Tuesday and just wrap up the conversation for us. But it's it's Duke, and you know we know Kentucky's going to be out of it unless they win the the SEC tournament. But I want to see what Duke does first. The next thing I want to see is honestly what happens in the Big Ten tournament because I think it's a pretty much a a lock that Michigan and Illinois will be one seeds, but there's several of those other teams, you know, Iowa, Ohio State, they're still fighting for two seeds. And depending on who makes a run where – there's gonna be a lot of switching going on to two, three seats, which would have a huge impact because one of them's gonna to have to play Gonzaga just because of how the selection committee doesn't want to put teams together. So the big thing everyone talks about is who's gonna be that, who's gonna be the unlucky Big Ten team that has to see Gonzaga? Right now, it looks like I was the biggest projected bar and they go on a run. We saw what Gonzaga did to them earlier, so it would behoove them or Ohio State or others to, you know, not bounce out early and force the community to put them in that bracket.
0: Is there any chance Ohio State falls below that two line? I just, I haven't been impressed any time I've put them on and yesterday they end up losing to Illinois. They already have eight losses. Is is there any chance that they maybe just got a little too overhyped early in the year?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think Ohio State, like every I get almost everyone else did. They had a nice run where they won five straight. And if you win five, six straight in the Big Ten, you automatically going to vault up the rankings. Uh, but they're definitely sliding. I think the the thing that could save them is that Villanova will probably fall off. They they just lost Colin Gillespie for the season. Justin Moore is hurt as well. They're I think. Everyone, if they do their own mock brackets for the Big East tournaments, everyone's going to have them lose at some point, and I'll probably kick them off. And Houston, if they don't win the uh, American Athletic Conference tournament, they'll probably fall off. So I think Ohio State, as long as they don't lose to a bad team in the Big Ten tournament, they're probably safe there because I, uh, everyone else is going to fall off. Expect And you can include Alabama in that conversation too. If they don't make it to the uh, – SEC tournament finals, they could fall off to a three. So I think Ohio State's safe. But are they a team that you fear right now? I, I don't think so, because outside of E.J. Liddell and Dwayne Washington, the the supporting cast hasn't been stepping up as late. And you have to have legit depth if you're going to make a run this year.
0: And so outside of the superstars, the Cade Cunninghams, Luca Garza, all of the Gonzaga guys, Suggs and Kispert um really any of the big names that everyone's hearing even if they're not necessarily paying attention to that team who are some of the funnest guys to to watch that let's say there's five different games on at once and you see that player x is playing you're flipping over to that game
3: yeah uh, one player that i I always watch is scotty barnes uh florida state you know five-star freshman but he's not one of those that's going to drop 30 on you. He's one of those that's going to fill up the stat sheet, play good defense. He can guard a big man. He can guard a point guard. It's always fun seeing how Leonard Hamilton utilizes him in any game because depending on a situation, he's always going to be the X factor. He comes off the bench in favor of having MJ Walker and Raquan Evans start on the perimeter, but I think using him as the ultimate Swiss Army knife it's always going to be fun to see, and Florida State is my dark horse, assuming that they can consistently play defense at a high level. Uh, other players, I, I think uh, who I saw him today, Cameron Kretwig of Loyola Chicago. He's he, he's one of those big men that you don't understand how he produces the way he does, how he looks, but he just consistently gives you 20 points, nine rebounds, six assists, a couple blocks, a couple of steals, and... and it's always going to be fun to see Laurie Chicago back in the dance, and, he, and he's one of the top players for that.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Loyola Chicago and Crutwig because they've been having another special season just a couple of years after their final four run. But since we are a mid-major podcast covering the A10, I'm just curious: what other mid-majors from one or two-bid league conferences do you see as potentially being scary for like a four or five-seed in March Madness?
3: Well, I mean, considering the podcast I'm on right now, I have to give a shout out to St. Bonaventure. They are a they're they're one of those teams that they don't have that clear-cut superstar that everyone's gonna talk about. They just have a legit eight to nine deep roster that can fill it up. The fact that they've been able to win without Kyle Lofton having putting up Bones Highland type numbers, that's impressive. You know, we knew about and we knew about Osum. But you know you have having just the depth they've had, and to be able to go through the pauses, come to the eight ten with literally win it to make it win all the games they did. They they have the depth, they have the size, they have the athleticism, they can shoot. At Saint Bonaventure, if they're gonna be if they get that eight nine range, if they can get the right matchup, I, I them against Illinois. I, I, I think the line I could be careful because that's a big man that can guard Kofi Colburn. And that's a guard that can take, that can at least make Io's night frustrating. So I, I love, I love the Bonnies. boys, Chicago. They're, they're legit San Diego State out in mountain West. They have lethal shooters. They have size. I think any, any major team that has size has a legit chance. I think some of the others like Winthrop, uh, Morehead State, you know I'm worried about them because they don't have elite figs, but the, the, the some of these mint majors that are making the tournament they're going to pull off some upsets that that's i'm not I wouldn't be surprised about that. I think people are focusing on Michigan State and Duke if, if they make it as eleven seeds, but it's it's the mint majors this year that I think have actual talent
0: to make a run. So I'm so glad that both of those teams got mentioned because I wanted to specifically ask you about both Bonaventure and Loyola. I have caught a lot of Loyola this year. And I think people who haven't are going to see them in the tournament and remember Cameron Kretwig from the final four run. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they're just going to be happy. Like, Oh, Hey, that huge center that was a, like a doughy little freshman when they made the final four, he's, he's a starter. He's a star for them now. That's awesome. And in reality, he's just a one-man wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to get the perspective of someone who's watching more than us and who isn't biased as we are with the Bonnie specifically. But let's give it the caveat that neither of them end up having to play Gonzaga in the second round. Right? Is there any reason for us to not think long and hard about picking Bonaventure and or Loyola to swing an upset and get into the sweet 16?
3: Oh, no, no, not at all. I think quite frankly, it's, it's matchup driven. But as I, as I said before, if you have size, then you then you're automatically going to be in it to pull off the upset. I think if you're saying Bonaventure, you can go up against a team like Alabama who doesn't have elite size or even or Arkansas or others, it, it wouldn't be a shock at all. I think Houston would be the perfect matchup for a mid-major looking to pull off an upset as long as you can keep Quentin Grimes and Trayvon Market Bay on the perimeter. But it, it, it we, we haven't even seen enough of St. Bonaventure to know how good they truly are because they only play three non-conference games. The only, the only thing we've judged them on is conference play, and as we see, you you can look great against anyone, look bad against anyone else at the worst opportune times, but to see how consistently good they've been. And even this past week in the A-10 tournament, St. Bonaventure, I think, has always had top 25 talent. They just wasn't able to show it this year because of the pauses. So I'm not, it's not surprising at the least to see how good they are. I think we always viewed that Richmond because of the seniors and St. Louis because of the high high tier talent but St. Bonaventure is the one that had that checked all the boxes and that's why they're in the position they're in
0: yeah and they have the great cohesion too and is there really any other team in college basketball on the top I guess not fully in college basketball but on the top level these potentially dangerous NCAA tournament teams that has a starting five that are kind of so locked in together they don't really use the bench we know that they f- those pieces fit together perfectly like do the Bonnies have kind of a twin anywhere else
3: uh, I, I guess if you want to say Gonzaga when they have Andrew Nemhart in because that's that's their depth lineup they have four guards and drew Timmy at the big and because of the size of the guards you can't really exploit that even if you have big lineups they're they're I think there's a reason they're undefeated because of how cohesive they is, especially when they make you pay every time you turn the ball over. But it's important to have, like you mentioned, not only have cohesion, but this is going to be a tough seven days after Selection Sunday. You're going to have to go through testing every day, hope that you don't get popped. And there's a mental maturity that you're going to have to have to get through some of this, especially if the worst case is someone does test positive. I think, you know, you've seen what St. Bonaventure has done already through the adversity. There was a whole lot of teams who only played two or three games heading into nearly January, and some of them just, you know, just hung it up. For St. Bonaventure to do what they did, it's one of the under the radar impressive things we've seen this year despite them only playing so many games and still pretty much being locked in as an at-large
0: team so uh, correct me if I'm wrong but it seems like you're you're saying that one thing that may be favored this year would be teams where we know that they got a lot of mature veteran guys and especially coaches that we know are mature and are guys who can really keep a locker room together so like one that comes to mind to me is Tony Bennett. Like, is, is this the year to maybe just trust a great coach that we know keep his team in, in good spirits throughout the tournament, even more importantly than normal?
3: You know, I, I think for the teams that made it here, they've gone through enough adversity where I think it, it's okay to trust them. I think one of the things you've seen with the Blue Bloods, with Duke, Kentucky, even to a lesser extent, Kansas and Michigan State, is a lot of these programs face adversity that they never would normally have. They had everything pretty much handed to them. They can practice whenever they want. Everything went smoothly. But once things went wrong, they could never recover. You know, and I'm said for I'm not blaming anyone for things that happened this year, but I don't think it's a shock that the big name schools struggled more than they did. Because I think sometimes when everything goes smoothly for you for a long period of time, you just don't know how to adjust. And I think Kentucky struggled to adjust. Duke struggled to adjust. But other programs who's like, you know, this it is what it is, they were able to handle it more. But so I, I think by the time we get to torment, tournament, everyone's going to be mentally tough enough to get through it. So I'm not sure if anyone has a complete advantage. I think it will come more to, you know, talent and shooting, but yeah, I, I would, I wouldn't have any issues trusting Tony Bennett or Mark few and them, but there's a good chance that one of these coaches is going to get their first ring because a lot of the top tier contenders have yet to win one.
0: So you've given us a lot of great players and teams to watch out for here, but sadly one team that may only play one more game this year, possibly two is the Pitt Panthers. And I think we have to close this out, knowing that you're a Pitt fan. We got to talk about my favorite non-A10 player in the country right now, and that is Justin Champney. Just a, a fan, for anyone who's not seen him, he's a slightly undersized power forward who is an absolute double-double machine. And so I, I guess the, the big question is, with Pitt continuing to struggle as a program and even losing two starters, as transfers next, so far this year, can Penny be transcendent enough to get the Panthers back into the tournament next year, even if they don't have a, a top-quality roster around him?
3: Well, well, first off, I'm hoping he comes back because he's a projected first-round pick right now. And you lose J- Xavier Johnson, you lose Audis Tony, you lose pretty much hope to make the tournament next year, barring us getting F. Uh, five-star center prospect Ethan Reed who's probably going to end up at Ohio State unfortunately. I'm not sure he's coming. I'm not 100% sure he's coming back. I think there was a tweet before that said that he and his brother Julian from St. John's could decide what they're going to do together, so maybe they do come back, but it, it, it's all it's just going to be a process. You know, we're we're probably not going to a tournament. All I can hope is that the young players we have uh, like Femi Okodale, who's now our new point guard, William Jeffries, the forward. It's just to grow. We're not, you know, I'm, I was on the bandwagon of we should never let Jamie Dixon go in the first place. Same. I, I, I think sometimes you should be grateful that you're a tournament team and not try and act like you're a final four contender, unfortunately. But, you know, this is what it is. We're in the ACC now. I think Jeff Capel's done a good job developing because Champagne was a three-star prospect to begin with so whatever happens happens I'm gonna ride with the Panthers all the time uh I'm grateful that we had an all-conference player to watch even through the hard times if he goes pro he goes pro you know but the rebuild will just continue
0: so I mean I'm personally optimistic just kind of blindly that he will come back next year but if he does and honestly even if uh even if Pitt wins their opening game in the ACC tournament, which is unfortunately for many people on ACC Network, if they can make it to day two, I'm certainly going to try to make my way over to the Pitt game. For anyone else who does, what's the most exciting part of Champetti's game?
3: He 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 just he he's it's cliche to say it. He's just a baller. He's not someone that has you know normal moves he just has a great instinct for the ball. He can score inside and out. Once the ball gets to his hands and they're not double teaming, he's going to find a way to score. And to see his effort on the on the glass because if you watch Pitt, you know that we have no front court to speak of for him basically to be our center, it, it it's 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 just great to see his effort and his heart and he he's always just he's always going to play hard and that's what I appreciate of him more than anything. Is that he's just going to do what he can do he's going to fill up the seat and keep us competitive and thanks for reminding me that's on ACC network so that means I can't watch it
0: yeah unfortunately many people many people who are Pitt fans don't get ACC network but uh for me it's I, I love his rebounding and as an eight for as a comparison to the A-10 fans it's like a supercharged Jalen Attaway he yeah. has the explosive hops but he's even bigger and stronger than Attaway is and Adds in an incredible offensive game to go with it. But he's one of the funnest rebounders I've had the pleasure to watch in 20 years of putting on college basketball.
3: He's like Jordan Goodwin in a way, too. It's like you don't expect him with the size he has to put up numbers he does, but he just does it. And I think, you know, in sometimes where you're wondering why people can't produce at times despite their skill, it's just great to see a guy who's six seven, a tweener forward at that, going for 20 and 10 against the best teams but I always had that win over Duke this year when they were in the bubble for five on bubble for what five minutes I'll have that memory
0: that was uh, and that was part of the reason why we wanted to have you on to talk because that was my favorite non-A10 game of the year too I enjoyed that so much uh, not only getting to just watch Champeny, but it was a great performance from Jalen Johnson, who's another guy that unfortunately we will not see in the tournament since he left Duke. But hopefully brighter days ahead for Pitt and hopefully for all college basketball fans, we'll get another year of Justin Champeny. And who knows, maybe his brother would even come join him at Pitt. It seems unlikely, but it doesn't seem impossible.
3: I feel like he might join – I feel like it might be the other way that he would join St. John's because St. John's got a nice roster for next year. I think they have top 20 20- – if they can just land a big tra- – transfer big man, they're top 25 good for St. John's. But it's uh, – I'm I'm at peace with it. I just <laughs> – just hoping we can get back to a tournament
0: one day. Yeah. I was hopeful that they'd say ACC over Big East, but it seems like they might not – well – Tristan Freeman, before we let you go, uh, anyone else that you want to shout out in college basketball is just being a, a player, a team that you want to keep your eye on here going forward. Cool.
3: Yeah, I, I, I have fun with them, but I guess because it's the eight, uh eight ten centric podcast, I, you know, shout out to the Duquesne Dukes and Keith Danbrot. I, I, you know, as much as they're Pitt's little brother, I, I thought they had an impressive year, all things considering losing sincere, losing sincere carry. I think that they got they got a decent foundation. I think if uh well next year is going to be too hard because I think there's a good chance that almost everyone in the eight ten is going to come back since very few were seniors. But but I, I think the I think Duquesne has a legit chance to make it to the top four in the next couple of years if they keep going. I, I I like their potential and their progress. They just got to, you know, keep, they just got to keep void and losing players, but.
0: So as a diehard Pitt fan, I think we, I think it's our obligation to ask you while you're on this pod, should the city game go back to being played? Pitt and Duquesne haven't played in I, I think three years now.
3: Yeah, I, I should. I, I think there's two main reasons. One I'm always a fan of rivalry games. It's always fun to have storylines in in that. Two, I think, you know, with the way the Panthers are, we need an easy win. We need to have someone that we can beat easily, but it can still help our strength of schedule. And it will give Duquesne practice, you know, facing a good team. So when they go to 8-10 play.
0: I mean, I got to say, that would be a terrific game this year. Um, Pitt's collapsed down the stretch makes me believe that, the Dukes would be the favorite in that game, but you know I, I can't say too much to you, given that I believe Duquesne has won that game. It's either only two or three times in the 21st century. So, if you want to look at the numbers, it would certainly say that Pitt is the big brother in the relationship. Yeah, but
3: it's not even Duquesne in the 8-10 that I I dislike the most. It's UMass because they took because they took Trey Mitchell from us. The how we allowed him to leave the city and end up it's it we if we had Trey Mitchell it all oh, just it that and that's heartbreaking because anyone who's from this who's lived in the city at some point it's like why and we haven't had a big man since 2015 and that that's what makes it hurt even worse is that we could have had Trey Mitchell.
0: Yeah the best the best Pittsburgh area big man recruit since Dewan Blair who of course oh did choose to stay close to home. So, uh, Tristan, where can everyone find your terrific work?
3: Uh, uh, you can find me at uh, Bust Brackets. I'm also on Twitter as much as possible at a... Uh, sorry about that. Sometimes I forget my own uh, <laughs> handle. Uh, you can either find me at... Busting Brackets or at Hoopsnut351 on Twitter. Uh, Always, always love to interact. Uh, Favorite teams are Pittsburgh, Gonzaga, but I'll pretty much follow and talk about anyone. Always fun. And I can't wait to talk about uh, the A-10 because it's going to be a really fun off season to see who comes and who goes. And I would not be shocked if we have a couple of preseason top 25 teams, depending on what happens with a couple of players. But Thank, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's going to be a fun NCAA tournament, a fun March. I'm just glad that we actually can have this after what happened last year. And I'm just grateful for whatever it happens.
0: Yeah, college basketball is alive and well. And for anyone who is not already following you, they absolutely should be. You have helped to fill in a lot of the knowledge gaps that I have of the lot of the other conferences in college basketball right now. Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to come on any time for you guys.
0: A big thank you to both of our guests, Dr. John Giannini of NBC sports and stadium and Tristan Freeman of busting brackets, both giving us some terrific interviews, giving us plenty to think about with the VCU St. Bonaventure championship game coming up next weekend and plenty of games in other interesting conference tournaments up until then. And we thank you guys for listening once again to the Three-Bid League Podcast. As always, give us five stars on iTunes if you like the show. Leave us a comment on there. Everybody, be sure to stay safe and enjoy the basketball.